0: Hey there, it's Mitch here, and before we get into today's episode, our spring membership drive has officially sprung, and we've got one heck of a giveaway. When you make a donation in any amount to Vermont Public by March 16th, you'll be entered to win a new roof valued up to $15,000, thanks to Vermont Construction Company. Your support makes everything we do possible. Make a gift today so we can keep bringing you the trustworthy, reliable news you count on day in and day out. To make your gift, head to vermontpublic.org donate. And thanks. From Vermont Public, this is The Frequency. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. It's Tuesday, February 6th. And here are today's headlines. The Vermont House is considering legislation to ban seeds coated with neonicotinoid pesticides. The chemicals kill pests like seed corn maggots and apple maggot flies, but they also kill pollinators. Data from the Agency of Agriculture shows 99% of corn seeds in Vermont are coated right now. Quebec banned coated seeds in 2019, and beekeepers want Vermont to do the same. But farmers are urging caution. Barney Hodges co-owns Sunrise Orchards in Cornwall. Eliminating
1: a class of pesticides can have repercussion or lateral collateral damage that causes farmers to use other lethal pesticides that might be more broadband in, act- in their mode of action.
0: Hodges urged lawmakers to ban prophylactic use of neonicotinoids, but to protect fruit and vegetable farmers' ability to spray crops with them selectively. And he says farmers will need outreach and education to help them find other ways to manage pests. The U.S. Postal Service says it expects to make an announcement this week about the future of the Montpelier Post Office. But local, state, and federal officials say they have no idea of what the plan is. It's been almost seven months since Montpelier has had a functioning post office after the previous one suffered enormous damage during the historic July floods. Residents and businesses now use the East Montpelier Post Office or Barry facility for most of their postal needs. USPS says it's toured several facilities, quote, in and around Montpelier, but no other information is available. Montpelier Mayor Jack McCullough says locating the post office downtown is a key part of the city's flood recovery efforts. And the post office is, is a real, uh, real hole in, in the downtown that we still don't have that. Once a location is selected, it could take several months to retrofit the facility as a post office. About two years ago, the Vermont Farmers Food Center in Rutland was forced to shut down after the state found toxic chemicals there. Now, officials with the center, which promotes local agriculture, say lengthy efforts to resolve air quality and contamination problems are nearly finished. Executive Director Heidi Lynch says an $800,000 state grant helped fund the cleanup, which includes installing a specialized new floor in their main hall. That space previously housed the city's indoor winter farmer's market, which has had to relocate.
2: You know, the silver lining is nobody expected for this building, you know, to be closed down and go through this work. But we now have, you know, the opportunity that we've made improvements. There'll be even more kitchen equipment and shared use um, rental space in there and then just some general improvements to the hall.
0: Lynch says the hall work should be finished this spring. An additional $2 million in grant-funded renovations will be completed on the multi-building campus this year. A Jericho native is returning from Los Angeles with a Grammy Award in tow. Aaron Bentledge is part of a West Coast vocal group called SAGE, whose members create innovative arrangements of jazz standards. Bentledge and fellow members took home a Grammy Award for Best Arrangement, Instrumentals, and Vocals. SAGE is scheduled to perform in March at Higher Ground. Another notable nominee with Vermont Ties who did not walk away with an award was Stratford native and stick season singer Noah Kahn. He was nominated for Best New Artist. And Senator Bernie Sanders had a Grammy nod, his second, for Best Audiobook Narration for It's Okay to Be Angry About Capitalism. That award instead went to former First Lady Michelle Obama for her book The Light We Carry. Vermont indie artist Caroline Rose was also nominated for their fifth album titled The Art of Forgetting. It earned a nod for Best Recording Package. That's an award given for an album's visual aesthetic. Coming up, relatives of a man who died in a Vermont prison several months ago are still seeking answers as an investigation into his death drags on. Reporter Liam Elder Connors brings us that story after this. The Frequency is supported by MVP Healthcare, offering Medicare Advantage plans made for Vermont and guided by doctors in partnership with the UVM Health Network. Info at uvmhealthadvantage.com. In early September, 35-year-old Jeffrey Nichols died from a fentanyl overdose in the state prison in St. Albans. He'd been in custody for one day when staff at Northwest State Correctional Facility found him unresponsive in a cell in the booking area. Nichols' death is being investigated by several state agencies, but those inquiries are ongoing, and that's been frustrating for Nichols' family who are desperate to know what happened in the final hours of their son's life. Vermont Public's Liam Elder Connors has more.
2: Oh, book.
1: <laughs> Tony Nichols is at his kitchen table in Sheldon, flipping through a photo album. He stops at a nearly 30-year-old picture. His son Jeffrey is beaming, sporting a red plaid Johnson woolen mill coat and matching hat. Jeffrey's got his rifle in one hand and the other is wrapped around a deer, which
2: is hanging next to him. And he was eight years old when he shot that deer right out of a tree stand. I remember like it was yesterday. Yeah, And he was hooked ever since then.
1: Tony says his son would sometimes hunt from dawn till dusk. He'd help anyone who needed a hand dragging a deer out of the woods. Tony says Jeffrey had a true gift. Once, Jeffrey wounded a deer, but it ran off. He was out of bullets. So Tony gave
2: Jeffrey his rifle. And I... Handed him my gun and I said, we had this discussion at camp. Everybody believed you could run a deer down. So do it. And he took off. It weren't five minutes. The gun went off and he was laughing. He ran the deer down.
1: Jeffrey did more than hunt. He was a devoted father to his 10-year-old daughter. He liked kayaking, riding four-wheelers and playing horseshoes. He played piano. His mom, Kim, says Jeffrey loved to make people laugh
0: and he was a hugger. He liked to hug everybody. If he saw you and knew you, he wanted to give you a hug. No matter if it was male or female, he didn't matter. He just loved people in general.
1: In 2004, when Jeffrey was 16, he was in a bad car accident and had large metal plates put in his back. The doctors prescribed OxyContin for the pain.
2: We didn't know the effects of what it was. You know, at that point, I mean, we said, you got to take your medicine, you know, just like you do, you know. And uh, he did and did and did. And then uh, that turned into a lot more.
1: Jeffrey's struggle with opiates lasted the rest of his life. His family tried to help, like getting him into rehab if he relapsed, his mom said.
0: He'd get clean and struggle again. Get clean, get struggle again. Um, It's not his first rodeo. Um, He knew he wanted to be a decent person and knew that he didn't want to do this.
1: Jeffrey's drug use also led to run-ins with the law. He picked up a handful of misdemeanors and felonies, including two counts of selling narcotics. He spent time in prison. But in the past eight years, Tony says his son mostly stayed out of trouble. Jeffrey had two jobs, one with a septic company and another with an excavation company.
2: I mean, he'd been doing good. He had some land. He was going to build a house. He was going to, uh, you know, build it for his daughter, In the weeks before Jeffrey's death,
1: Tony says he suspected his son was using again. They didn't have a chance to talk about it before Jeffrey was arrested late one Friday night in September on a domestic assault charge. He was lodged at Northwest State Correctional Facility on $5,000 bail. Tony and his wife were at a state on vacation when Jeffrey got arrested. Tony says he figured Jeffrey would be fine until his arraignment on Monday.
2: He hasn't been convicted of anything. He's sitting in their jail cell for the weekend because it happened on the weekend. We have full confidence that on Monday, when he got into the courtroom, that he would have been released on his own recognizance.
1: But Jeffrey never got out. Prison staff found him unresponsive in a cell in the booking area around 6.30 in the morning on Sunday, September 10th. According to the Department of Corrections, staff tried CPR and Narcan, an overdose-reversing drug. Jeffrey was declared dead at 6.49 a.m., about 27 hours after arriving at the prison. Jeffrey's death was ruled an accident caused by a fentanyl overdose. Tony says his family still has a lot of questions about Jeffrey's final hours, especially how he got drugs in prison. And so far, Tony says the state has refused to give them any answers.
2: We're only asking the state to just be transparent with us on that and give us our independent investigation. Make us feel good. Make us feel that, that you guys aren't hiding anything.
1: There are three state agencies reviewing Jeffrey's death. State Police, the Department of Corrections, and the Defender General's Office. That's standard practice when someone dies in prison, but generally those reviews aren't released to the public. DOC Commissioner Nick Demmel says the department is working on updating its policies to allow prisoner death investigations to be made public. It may be sanitized, but we should have a publicly facing version, an executive summary or something at the end of each of these critical incidents. And so that's something that we're designing right now Jeffrey Nichols wasn't the only person to die from an opioid overdose at Northwest State Correctional Facility last year. -year 37-year-old Sean Garner died in July after taking a mix of fentanyl, xylazine, and cocaine. Defender General Matt Valerio says there are a few ways drugs can get into prisons, including incarcerated people, visitors, or guards smuggling them in. He says during his 23 years as Defender General, DOC has improved its screening methods.
2: In general, I would say DOC as a reasonable protocol for preventing drugs from coming in, but nothing is 100%.
1: Tony hopes the state will give him the full story of what happened to his son. He says he isn't looking to blame anyone. He just wants to know what happened.
2: It brings closure to our family, right? Uh, Starting with what would help us a lot would be knowing what happened in the last few hours.
1: This fall, Tony went up to hunt on a hill where he and Jeffrey spent a lot of time. While he was there, he got a call from Jeffrey's friend.
2: And he said, I didn't mean to bother you up in the woods I said, no, I'm glad you did. You know, because I was having it pretty rough. Real rough. And he uh, just took the edge off, you know, so I could move through. And then I was scared to go back in, you know, for a while. So I started hunting other places and stuff like that. But um it was rough here this year
1: tony says the family plans to start work on jeffrey's land in montgomery this year he says they want to keep one of jeffrey's dreams alive to eventually build a house there on that land for his daughter for vermont public i'm liam elder connors
0: Thanks for listening to The Frequency today. We had additional reporting from Abigail Giles, Bob Kinzel, Nina Keck, and Mary Engish. Our executive producer is Kevin Trevelin, and our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. I'm Mitch Wertlieb. Talk to you tomorrow.